Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Joshua assisting me today. We have a detailed lesson, brothers and sisters, prepared for those worldwide, internationally. Today's lesson will be called A Purpose-Driven Life, brothers and sisters. A purpose-driven life. The need for purpose is one of the defining characteristics of quote-unquote human beings, brothers and sisters. Human beings crave purpose and suffer serious psychological difficulties when we don't have that. Purpose is a fundamental component of fulfilling life, brothers and sisters. Having a strong sense of purpose can have a powerful, positive effect. Being cognizant of our purpose will help us make decisions every day that will propel us towards our destiny. So we're going to deal with that today, brothers and sisters. A purpose-driven life, the power of purpose as a servant of the Most High. We're going to go to Isaiah 49 and 5. Isaiah 49, verse 5. And now, said the Lord that formed me from the womb to be a servant. To be his what? To be a servant. Formed from the womb to be a servant, brothers and sisters. To bring Jacob again to him. To do what? To bring Jacob again to him. To bring the tribes of Jacob, the children of Israel, back to the Father. Though Israel be not gathered... Yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. We are servants, brothers and sisters, created and formed from the womb with a purpose. It's a remarkable thing to have a life assigned to purpose, brothers and sisters. It's going to go deeper in detail. Read verse 6, brother. Verse 6. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. It's a light thing, brothers and sisters. That we should raise up the tribes of Israel. And to restore the preserved Israel. To restore our people, brothers and sisters. Our people have been destroyed psychologically. They've been stood over. They've been stepped on. They have no truth. They have no awareness. They have no biblical acumen or understanding to who they are or their value. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. Read that part again, brother. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. To show you it's not just about the children of Israel, but there's order. First, you go to the tribes of Jacob. Then we'll use you to bring light unto the Gentiles. Read verse 6 again, brother. Verse 6. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. That thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Right. Gentiles, all other nations, whether that's Edomites who are white people, Hamites who are Africans, Koreans, doesn't matter. All people should learn what salvation is, how to please God through the children of Israel. So the children of Israel have a duty, have a purpose to bring back those who've been destroyed, those who've been psychologically damaged, the minorities. The, the natives, the, the the Negroes, the Hispanics, predominantly, back to the Father. And also, once you do that, because remember, Christ said, go not unto the Gentiles. When Christ was living, the disciples didn't go to Gentiles. Why? Because you have to get Jacob together first before you can get the rest of the world together. You have to deal with your own house first. So we'll, let's deal with us, and then we'll go to them. So we needed you to examine that, brothers and sisters. And if you're a Gentile, and you want to know your purpose. This is your purpose. Go to Jacob. Go to the poor. Go to the Hispanics. Go to the Negroes. Go to the Jamaicans. Go to the Haitians. Go to the Dominicans. 
right? Go to the Vietnamese, go to the Filipinos, go to the Hawaiians, go to the Costa Ricans and Panamanians, go to the Native Americans and tell them that they're the children of Israel and that the earth is waiting on them. That's your purpose. Why? And I'm talking predominantly here to, to, to Edomites, to white people, because our people have been trained to listen to you more so than to listen to their own people. So you have a purpose also. When you see these people, show them the truth, brothers and sisters. So this is our purpose from the womb to bring Jacob back to the father and also be a light unto the Gentiles. So today we will discuss the method in which we fulfill our purpose, brothers and sisters. How in which we become what? Fishers of men. That is your purpose, brothers and sisters, to be a fisher of men and women, to bring those once regarded as the preeminent nation on the earth back to the father. Let's go to Matthew 23 and 11 servants. That is your purpose, brothers and sisters, as a servant. Matthew 23, verse 11. Let's see what Christ has to say. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Read that again, brother. Verse 11. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. This is an indication of true greatness. <laughs> you want to be great? You serve, brothers and sisters. This is evidence of preeminence. You are a servant. This is the indication of true greatness. If you aspire to be great, to obtain authority, you must become a servant. <laughs> Just like Isaiah just told us. Your purpose, you were made to serve. To, to serve him. To bring back the tribes of Jacob and also the Gentiles to the true understanding of the gospel, brothers and sisters. Read that again, brother. Matthew 23, verse 11. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. See? So service is the way to honor. He that will be most esteemed ought to do the most work. See, brothers and sisters, if you're destined for greatness, this is your position as a servant. Go to your people and serve them. Show them Christ. Be a representation of the Most High, Ahaya, the Great I Am. See, brothers and sisters, this is our purpose, to serve, to go to people who don't have the truth and be able to show them light, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Second Ezra and the Apocrypha. Follow us to the Apocrypha, brothers and sisters. Second Ezra, chapter one, verse four. For those who don't know what the apocrypha is, brothers and sisters, the apocrypha is what the fourteen books that was taken out of the original King James version by the who, by the Catholics and Protestants. The apocrypha was in every Bible up until eighteen fifty-two, brothers and sisters. So the Bible originally contained eighty books and not sixty-six. Examine that. So those who are maybe new to our church, we would encourage you to get a 1611 King James Version Bible. Whether you get, you get the app from iTunes or on the Play Store or buy a physical copy. Because what we use is a full compilation of the Bible, brothers and sisters. And that's the 1611 King James Version. We're going to go to 2nd Ezra, chapter 1. We're going to read 4 through 8. 2nd Ezra 1, verse 4. This is what a servant shall do. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Go thy way, and show my people their sinful deeds. Do what? Show my, pip, my people their sinful deeds, 
and their children their wickedness, which they have done against me, that they may tell their children's children. This is how you bring Jacob back to the father. See? Go show our people their sinful deeds. Show them what the truth of the law is. Show them what the truth of our behavior has been. Our conduct has been. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 4. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Go thy way, and show my people their sinful deeds, and their children their wickedness which they have done against me, that they may tell their children's children. See? So our whole life should be working towards liberating our people from the bondage of sin, brothers and sisters. Verse 6. Because the sins of their fathers are increased in them, for they have forgotten me, and have offered on them on a strange God. See? So we must make our people aware of their sins, brothers and sisters. It says the sins of our fathers are increased. We're in this condition because of what our forefathers did. And what did we do? We, <laughs> we became worse, brothers and sisters. We've done worse than our people in the Bible have done. Verse 7. Am not I even he that brought them out of the land of Egypt? Read that again. Verse 7. And not I, even he that brought them out of the land of Egypt. He is the God that brought us out of Egypt. From the house of bondage. From the what? From the house of bondage. To show you that Egypt was known as the house of bondage, brothers and sisters. Because why? Egypt wasn't named Egypt during the, during the time of Moses. It wasn't named Egypt. It was named Mithraim, which is who? A son of Ham, brothers and sisters. Egypt is synonymous with house of bondage, home of slavery, home of captivity. But they have provoked me on wrath and despised my counsels. Read that part again. But they have provoked me on wrath. How did they do so, brother? And despised my counsel. See, when you despise his counsel, when you turn away from his law, you provoke him to wrath, brothers and sisters. See? So, that means what? That means our people <laughs> truly don't understand the scope of their sins. Our people are in dark regarding the problem. So they certainly don't have a clue as to the remedy. And that's what your purpose is. That's what your purpose is. To show them the sickness in order for them to obtain the cure. They don't even know it's a problem, brothers and sisters. They don't even know they're the people from Egypt. They don't know they're the people from Israel that served in Egypt, rather. Read the next scripture, brother. Verse 8. Pull thou off then the hair of thy head and cast all evil upon them. For they have not been obedient unto my law, but it is a rebellious people. See, the evil was cast upon us because we've been disobedient to his law. We're rebellious people, brothers and sisters. We have not been obedient to his law. So we needed to go to our people as a servant to raise the tribes of Jacob to show what? That the case that we're in is due to what, brothers and sisters? Disobedience. See? We've, we've misrepresented the Most High God. We've rejected His law, brothers and sisters. Therefore, the only cure is what? To become amalgamated with His law. To become one. We're going to go to Baruch, brothers and sisters, chapter 3. We're going to stick in the Apocrypha here. We're going to Baruch 3 and 5, uh, excuse me, 3 and 8, brothers and sisters. Give us a second here. Baruch 3. Verse 8, Behold, we are yet this day in our captivity, where thou hast scattered us, for a reproach and a curse, 
and to be subject to payments. See? So we are scattered, brothers and sisters. How did, how did the Negroes get into America? How did the natives get into America, matter of fact? How did the Mexicans get into the New World? <laughs> how, did, how did people get on islands? How did Dominicans get there? How did the Haitians get there? <laughs> when this whole Western Hemisphere was unknown. The people who were scattered. Read that again, brother. Verse 8. Behold, we are yet this day in our captivity, where thou hast scattered us. For a reproach and a curse, and to be subject to payments, according to all iniquities of our fathers. According to what? According to all the iniquities of our fathers, which departed from the Lord our God. See? Iniquity, brothers and sisters, sin. Due to the sins of our fathers, we are in the case that we are today. Because we departed from what? The Most High's instruction, brothers and sisters. See? Our people don't even realize that our case... Our, our, the case that we're in is based on our sin. Read the next scripture, brother. Verse 9. Hear, Israel, the commandments of life. The what? The commandments of life. The what? The commandments of life. Brothers and sisters, the commandments are life. <laughs> God's law is not oppressive. Disobedience to his law leads to oppression. That's what we need our people to understand. Give ear to understand wisdom. Do what? Give ear to understand wisdom. See, listen to his law, the commandments of life. Verse 10. How happened to Israel that thou art in thine enemy's land? How did you get here? How are you in your in the enemy's land? This is not your land. This is not where you began. That thou art wax old in a strange country. That thou art defiled with the with the dead. Examine this, brothers and sisters. Negroes, how did you get here? How did you get here? On ships, in another person's land. Dying, we're dying in a strange country. When we're from Jerusalem, we're from Israel. We don't know this land prior to, uh, you know, slavery. Read the next scripture, brother. Verse 11, that thou art counted with them that go down into the grave. Why? Why are we dead? Because we've rejected the commandments of life. <laughs> See? Thou hast forsaken the fountain of wisdom. The fountain of wisdom, brothers and sisters. The commandments is the fountain of wisdom. For if thou hadst walked in the way of God, thou shouldest have dwelt in peace forever. Read that again, brother. Verse 13. For if thou hadst walked in the way of God, thou shouldest have dwelt in peace forever. See? If we would have followed his laws, we would have dwelled in peace. Negroes would have never went into slavery. Hispanics would have never been taken down by the conquistadors. <laughs> Natives would have never been destroyed by the Edomites and had their land taken from them and pushed onto a small reservation. See, this is what our people need to see, brothers and sisters. They need to see peace come from walking in the fountain of life, the fountain of wisdom, the commandments of life. The oppression comes from not following his law. So the law is not oppressive. It's the disobedience to the law that leads to a, the oppression. Brothers and sisters, we're going to magnify that point by going to Hosea 4 and 6. Follow us, brothers and sisters. Please follow us. Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Read that again, brother. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee. Examine it. 
It says we're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So that means when we see the destruction of community, the destruction of family, the decrepit state of our people, we understand what? That this is evidence of rejecting his knowledge. Read that again, brother, please. Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. That means we will no longer be the custodians of the law. Why? Because we're not following it. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. See? So no, now we, we're not the custodians of the law. Nobody comes to us to learn the law now. They're going to Romans. They're going to Jewish people. Why? Because we've forgotten his law. I will also forget thy children. I will do what? I will also forget thy children. This has a residual effect on generations to come, brothers and sisters. This is what our people need to know. <laughs> the law gives us insight on how to battle the enemy, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See? Read that one more time, brother, verse 6. Verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore, I will change their glory into shame. See, so that which we have rejected is the reason for our calamity, brothers and sisters. Our only protection is spiritual protection, which is his law, brothers and sisters. Read verse 7 again, brother. Verse 7, as they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore, I will change their glory into shame. As they were increased, <laughs> they sinned against me. The more the Most High blessed us with us with substance, we turned against them, brothers and sisters, which is the deceitfulness of riches. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Look at the people who rule the world with the most amount of money. Are they the most? Are they humble? Most of them? <laughs> are they following God? No. And our people dealt with the same thing. Every time He give us a little reprieve. As soon as he gives us a little substance, then we stop following his law. Well, you know what? You know, got some money now. I ain't really got to, you know, I, I could take a Sabbath off, you know, miss a holy day. You know, let me go ahead and celebrate Christmas. You know, I'm a millionaire. Why not celebrate Christmas? Let me get everybody gifts. Let me have a tree that's 25 feet tall. <laughs> As people become rich or have more substance, their sin increases, brothers and sisters, especially our people, especially our people. The Bible is showing you as they were increased, they sinned against me. And that's why the Most High keep us in a low estate a lot of times, because we can't be trusted with success. We have never proven we don't have any evidence to show that he can trust us with success. We follow his law. When you need something from him, you do everything you think he wants you to do. But then when you when you don't need something from him necessarily, you become loose and negligent to his law. This is your purpose, brothers and sisters, to go and show our people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, which means what? They don't have the knowledge. <laughs> if they don't have the knowledge and you're a servant, you're to give them the knowledge. You're to point them in the right direction in a proper fashion. Let's go to Romans 12 and 2. Our people reject knowledge. Why? Because they have a, a, a misperception of his law, brothers and sisters. Romans 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. But do what? 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now examine that. Those of us who have been conformed into this world need a renewing of mind, brothers and sisters. Our people have been in a what? In a stranger's land, following heathenistic customs, following heathenistic holidays, eating unclean food, which shows you that our mind has been formed to this world. But, but what, brother? But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, this will produce a greater health in us spiritually, emotionally, and physically, brothers and sisters. See, so this is the mind that have wisdom. In order to ascertain the elegance of the law, we must help convey a constructive perspective of it. Because our people don't have that. They view the law as oppressive and unruly. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may be proved to what is good, to, to, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See? So we must help convey a constructive perspective of the law, brothers and sisters, or else they will start to attribute righteousness to unrighteousness. They will look at the law as something that's bad. They will begin to view the law as oppressive instead of liberating, which most people do. They think the law is bad. Why? Because they haven't had a renewed perception. It's your obligation as a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to help them have a better understanding of the law. That's why we went into the previous scriptures to show that the oppression actually came from not following the law and not from the law. That shows you how deep the deception is. That the one thing that is made to liberate you, you believe is <laughs> meant to hold you captive. Look at that, brothers and sisters. It's our obligation to do what? To help our brothers and sisters obtain a renewal of mind. Why? We're going to show you Matthew 6 and 23. Let's go to the gospel, brothers and sisters. Matthew 6 and 23. Matthew 6, verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Read that again, brother. Verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. This is showing the power of perception, brothers and sisters. It's a terrible thing to have an eye that cannot see the beauty and benefit the generosity of the law. It's our obligation to do what? To give them a healthier interpretation of the law. Read that again, brother. Verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? <laughs> Examine that, brothers and sisters. <laughs> if you're viewing something evil, then everything about it will be evil. Why? Because your eye is evil, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See, it says, if therefore the light, if, if the law, which is the light, be darkness, then how great is that darkness? <laughs> Look at that. How lost are you? <laughs> Examine that, brothers and sisters. If your eye be evil, then everything in the Bible, every law that you see, you're going to find something wrong with it. See? They will begin to perceive the Bible as burdensome and punitive. See? So we must use the opportunity to go into the Bible with brothers and sisters or to interact with brothers and sisters as an opportunity to communicate the truth in order to help them obtain a maturation of perception, brothers and sisters, to secure a heightened level of biblical aptitude. 
That's what you are, right? A servant. This is what you're supposed to be doing, brothers and sisters. You must understand that they're viewing the law as evil. They're viewing it as punitive. They're viewing it as burdensome and grievous. And you must go into the scriptures, not only go into the scriptures to be a representation to show that that's absolutely, excuse me, that's actually contrary to the truth of the gospel. If their eye is evil, if they're viewing it as evil, they're never going to follow it, brothers and sisters. This is why he's saying they need a renewed mind, brothers and sisters. And we're going to help them get a renewed mind. If you're a servant. We're going to show you. Let's go to 1 John 2 and 3. Brother Joshua. Not, not the gospel, but 1 John. 1 John 2 verse 3. See, now we have to show. What you have to do is show that they don't know God. That's the first thing you have to do. Because people think they know God. Well, listen, I have a personal relationship with my God. You have to show them, brothers and sisters, that they don't know God. The God they know of is actually Satan. How do we know they don't know God? Read, brother, please. Verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Read that again, brother. Verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. See? So anybody who's not keeping his commandments, whether they say they know him or not, you have to understand they don't know. (laughs) We perish for a lack of knowledge. No matter what they're saying, they can say they know God. But if they're not keeping the commandments, then obviously they don't. And you have to keep that in mind, servants of the Most High, that was formed from the womb to raise Jacob back to the Father. This should be your mindset to understand This is why they need the maturation and perception. They need a heightened level of biblical aptitude. And it's on you to help deliver that. In the spirit of meekness. Read that again, brother. 1 John 2, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him. Read that part again. He that saith, I know him and keep not his commandments is a liar. Is a what? Is a liar. Is a what? Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. (laughs) Listen, we didn't write that. We didn't write that. See, so when people say they have a relationship with God, but don't keep his commandments, don't even keep the (laughs) ten. You don't know God. You're a liar, according to the Bible. See? So a lack of obedience to his commands is evidence of spiritual dilapidation, brothers and sisters. We need you to examine this. Insubordination is a manifestation of spiritual negligence. Brothers and sisters, read that from the top, brother, please. First John 2, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keep not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. See, so I don't care if you're T.D. Jakes or Joe Osteen. <laughs> Just because somebody stand up with a nice suit on, <laughs> brothers and sisters, don't mean they have a relationship with God. Because this is all people love to say, I got a personal relationship with God. <laughs> Do you? Because First John 2 and 4 says you're a liar if you're excusing off while you're eating unclean foods and celebrating pagan holidays and not at least observing the Sabbath, the 10. Can you follow the 10? If you're not following that, you don't have a relationship with God. Or No, actually you do. But it's not the God of the Bible. It's Satan. Satan is the only God that can tell you, listen, I'll accept you no matter what you do. (laughs) See, brothers and sisters, our people don't even understand this. 
They think they actually have a relationship with God. It's on you to show them that relationship with the God they believe they're following is actually Satan. It's not the most high God. We needed to show when you don't follow his law, that's evidence of spiritual dilapidation. That's what it is. Let's go to Psalms 19 and 7, brother. We're going to the Torah, brothers and sisters. Psalms 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Read that again, brother. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Reviving the soul. The law is good to revive a dead soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. See? So the people, (laughs) making wise the simple. You can understand the earth, brothers and sisters. And everything that's going on, if you can understand his commandments, (laughs) you can understand that. Also, those who think that they're smart, brothers and sisters, these scientists, these pastors, these of high status shows the Bible shows how ignorant they are. Anytime somebody will tell you that the earth came from a big bang (laughs) and these are these are the, the, the what the people with doctorates, brothers and sisters, these are the philosophers. This teaching these theory, theories. The Bible show you. You simple. Just simple. Read that again, brother. Psalms 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. The, the commandments are good. They're right. Rejoicing the heart. Right. So already we're seeing that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And that the commandments of the Most High is pure, enlightening their eyes. Read that again, brother. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. This is the perception we must help them obtain, brothers and sisters. That the law is right. It makes you jovial, rejoicing the heart. Pure joy come from following his law. Notice that the people who commit suicide, the people who are depressed are never following God's laws. Show me one person that's following the Ten Commandments and God's laws, eating the proper foods, celebrating the proper days, who's, not, who's depressed. See, this is what you have to show, brothers and sisters. Read the next scripture, brother. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean. Read that again. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. See, if you fear the Most High, you live a clean life. Clean mean holy. See, that means we dress a certain way. We act a certain way. We eat clean foods. That's what, that's what happens when you fear the Most High. See, brothers and sisters, you cannot maintain a dynamic, powerful, vibrant life if we neglect the laws of the Most High God. Why? Because the law of the Most High God is perfect, reviving the soul. So a spiritually mature fisher of men shows how advantageous to the quality of life the law is. That's why we went here. For those who are servants, who are serving, this is what you do, brothers and sisters. You show what? You show the advantages of following the law. Because why? You Everybody marginalized the Bible. And make the Bible seem like it's just oppressive laws. Well, God trying to control you. It's, 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 it's trying to control you. It's not a democracy. It's dictatorial. See? 
This is what they teach, brothers and sisters. And you must show that that's contrary to what the Bible actually says. Don't allow people to tell you that the Bible is oppressive. Follow it yourself and see. So, brothers and sisters, as fishers of men, fishers of women, we are to show the advantages of the Bible, brothers and sisters. Why? Because that's how you get somebody to follow it. It's by showing how advantageous it is for them, how it benefits them. Don't just go into wielding it saying, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing this wrong. Because I want you to ask yourself a question. How many times have you pulled up a scripture, maybe about pork, to show somebody that eating pork is wrong while they're doing it, or they they do it, and they actually follow it and say, you know what, since you showed me that scripture, I'm going to stop eating pork. Very rarely will that happen, brothers and sisters. So what you want to do is you want to steer them to following the law and then they'll look into the law and they'll start following the ones that they see that they're breaking. But if you go to individual laws, guess what? Every month you're going to be showing them another law of something that they're breaking. And that's not (laughs) that's not going to be beneficial for you. It's not going to work efficiently. You want to subscribe. You want to just direct them to the law itself. And then they'll follow whatever's in it instead of you pointing to each and everything that they're doing wrong. Because then they're going to feel like, listen, it's too much. It's too much. See, if you look to individual laws, you're like, what am I supposed to do with all this? I might as well just, what am I supposed to do with all this? You point them to the law in general. You point them to one thing. Mother Teresa had a famous quote. They asked her, how does she continue to do so much philanthropy, so much work? She said, I never look at the multitude. I look at one. That way I put all my energy into that instead of looking at all this that's before me. Because then I'll be like, whoa, I can't do all this. So you just want to point them in the direction of the law itself. And then they'll start to, once they have a, they're able to ascertain the benefit of the law itself, then they'll start looking at the individual things. Because guess what? If you're following the law, then no matter what law that's there, you'll follow it. The same way when the majority of us started saying, okay, we need to follow the law as it is written. Once we saw certain things, we're like, okay, let me stop that. Let me stop that. But it's because we respected the law itself, brothers and sisters. So we're going to go to Baruch in the Apocrypha, chapter 4, verse 1. Baruch 4, verse 1. This is the book of the commandments of God. And the law that endureth forever. And the what? And the law that endureth forever. The law endure forever, brothers and sisters. Not how Christians are saying, well, that was the Old Testament. No, it's for now. All they that keep it shall come to life. Read it from the top, brother, please. Verse 1. This is the book of the commandments of God. And the law that endureth forever. All that... All they that keep it shall come to life. Read that part again. All they that keep it shall come to life. But such as leave it shall die. Examine that. All that keep it come to life. <laughs> the Bible is a, is a excuse me is a guidebook to ultimate and eternal happiness, brothers and sisters. See, this is the divine prescription for how to be cured of all depression. Read that again, brother. Baruch four verse one. This is the book of the commandments of God. And the law that endureth forever, all they that keep it shall come to life. See, this is this is a manual to experience the fullness of life. But such as leave it shall die. See, if you don't follow it, <laughs> come death, spiritual death first, then physical death. This is what you want to show them, brothers and sisters. You want to show them the benefit of the law. You come into the fullness of life when you follow his law. You die off spiritually when you leave it. Read verse 2, brother. Verse 2, 
Turn thee, O Jacob, and take hold of it. Walk in the presence of the light thereof, that thou mayest be illuminated. Examine that. We're the real Illuminati. See? We're the real Illuminati. We're the enlightened ones. According to the Bible, brothers and sisters. Read verse 2 again. Verse 2. Turn thee, O Jacob, and take hold of it. Walk in the presence of the light thereof, that thou mayest be illuminated. Right. See? So wisdom and understanding is obtainable without purchase of tuition and class fees, brothers and sisters. See? So you must show them that the idea of his law being unjust and tyrannical is a misrepresentation. It's the light. This is the real Illuminati. Why? Because you're able to walk in light, though the rest is in darkness. You're able to see in darkness. The whole earth is in a dark, is in a dark state. Yet, if you follow the Bible, you have a light. Remember, the Bible says his word is a lamp unto your feet. See? Brothers and sisters, so we want to show them the benefits, brothers and sisters. The commandments lead to life. And disobedience to it leads to death, brothers and sisters. We have to give them a renewed mind. We must give them a better, healthier interpretation, a healthier perception. We have to fight off what others are doing. They're teaching them that the law is oppressive. That it does no good for you. That's done away with. You don't need that. You don't need anybody trying to control you. Do as that will. YOLO. You only live once. All these slogans. We're going to move forward, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Ecclesiasticus chapter 10, verse 19. We're going to stick in the Apographer, brothers and sisters. Please follow us. Ecclesiasticus 10, verse 19. They that fear the Lord are a sure seed. And they that love him, an honorable plant. Those that love the Most High and fear him are honorable plants. That means a seed that was planted. That's Listen, what does it say? You shall know a man by his fruit. Read that, read that brother. Uh, From the top, please. Verse 19. They that fear the Lord are a sure seed. And they that love him, an honorable plant. They that regard not the law are a dishonorable seed. Read that part again. They that re- regard not the law or are dishonorable see. Examine that, brothers and sisters. If you don't regard the law, you're dishonorable to the Most High God. They that transgress the commandments are a deceivable seed. You're deceitful. You're a liar, <laughs> according to the Bible. First John tell you that. If you transgress the commandments, you've been deceived and you are a deceiver. Both ways. Read verse 21, brother. Verse 21. The fear of the Lord goeth before the obtaining of authority. Read that again, brother. The fear of the Lord goeth before the obtaining of authority. Examine that. Supremacy and dominion is subsequent to submission and subservience, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 21. The fear of the Lord goeth before the obtaining of authority, but the, the roughness and pride is the losing thereof. See? That's how you lose authority. That's how we lost our authority, brothers and sisters. The Bible is showing you in order to acquire or secure prominence, <laughs> you must be what? You must be within his law, within the parameters of his instruction, brothers and sisters. So what is this showing you? This shows you that non-compliance will result in an inability to procure preeminence. <laughs> See? So our people say they want greatness. They want to rule. 
but you won't fear the most high God. You won't follow his law. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 21. The fear of the Lord goeth before the obtaining of authority, but roughness and pride is the losing thereof. See? So people say, well, listen, I do fear God. Do you? Do you know what the fear of God is? We're going to show you. Let's go to Ecclesiastes in the Apocrypha. We're going from Ecclesiasticus to Ecclesiastes, brothers and sisters. Please follow us. Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Do what? Fear God and keep his commandments. Brothers and sisters, to fear God, to fear the Most High God is to keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. See? That's the whole duty of a man and a woman. Your whole your duty is not to do whatever other people are telling you to do. Some people think their duty is to be, you know, a, a rap star or, or a pop star or an actor or a basketball player. That's not your duty. That's what you do for money. That's not why you were created. See, this is why we got to go to our people, brothers and sisters. They perish for a lack of knowledge. They don't even know what their duty is. They don't even know what their purpose is. See, we have to go give them a purpose, brothers and sisters, by going to the scriptures and showing them what the Bible says, the truth of the gospel, the elegance of it, the love, the benevolence of it. See, read that one more time, brother, because it told you what the, the fear of God come before the obtaining of authority. Verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What's the whole matter, brother? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. See? And I tell my brothers this too. Your, your job, your duty is not to fulfill what a woman wants from you. Do everything she wants you to do. That's going to get you in trouble. That's going to get you in trouble. You are to keep God happy first. And she will have to be happy with that. Or, you know, your first obligation is not to a woman. Your first obligation is to the God that created that woman. And sisters also, of course, you should submit to your husband. The Bible tells you that. But guess what? If your husband is telling you to do something against God, then, hey, listen, I have to keep the most high's commandments. That's the whole duty for my life. And once you agree on that, once you have a man and a woman that agree on that, huh, that's family. That's what Lucifer hate. That's why he drew that wedge between Adam and Eve. So many men think that their duty as a man is to sleep with all these women and please these women. That's not your duty, brother. Your duty is to keep God's commandments. And everything else will fall under that. Read that one more time, brother. Because if you want authority, you must know this. Verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. See, so keeping his commandments come before... Obtaining of authority or preeminence, brothers and sisters. This is what you want to show them, brothers and sisters. When you go into Christians, you go into people who don't know the law. This is the, what you're showing. You're showing the benefits. Excuse me, the benefits. You're showing them the gloriousness of the law. It's not about trying to tell them what to do. If you show it from a negative light, they're going to receive it in a negative light. That's why the Bible says they need a renewed mind. It's your obligation to help them obtain that. We're going to go to Ecclesiasticus 1 and 21. Ecclesiasticus 1 verse 21. The fear of the Lord drives away sin. What's the fear of the Lord? <laughs> Keeping his commandments. Read that again. 
Verse 21, The fear of the Lord driveth away sins, and where it is present, it turneth away wrath. See, that's what you want to show people. That when you keep his commandments, <laughs> the Most High love you. The Most High will bless you. It'll turn away his wrath. It will keep you in perfect peace. His law is a spiritual light that protects us and serves as a beacon, guiding us into the path of life, brothers and sisters. And with this spiritual light, we no longer wander in the darkened path of the adversary, brothers and sisters. The commandments are the path to freedom. Read that again, brother. Verse 21, the fear of the Lord driveth away sins, and where it is present, it turneth away wrath. See? So this is how you want to... This is how you want to present the Bible. This is how you want to present the law to those who are contrary to the gospel, brothers and sisters. This is how. The fear of the Most High, we've already established, is keeping His commandments. So you want to show them that, brothers and sisters. It'll drive away sin and keep you out of the way of the wicked, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Ecclesiasticus 19 and 19. Same book, just a few chapters over. Ecclesiasticus 19, verse 19. The knowledge of the commandments of the Lord is the doctrine of life. Read that again, brother. The knowledge of the commandments of the Lord is the doctrine of life. See? So the commandments are not a burden or a restriction. <laughs> Every commandment the Most High has given is for our development, our progress, and spiritual growth. Read that again, brother. Verse 19. The knowledge of the commandments of the Lord is the doctrine of life. The doctrine of life. And they that do things that please him shall receive the fruit of the tree of immortality. Examine that, brothers and sisters. <laughs> you receive immortality by what? Keeping the commandments of life. This is how you want to present the Bible to non-believers or people who are contrary to the true gospel, brothers and sisters. See? So the, the, the mischaracterization of the law being oppressive is what? It's misguided and unwarranted. Eternal life is the reward of obedience to his law, brothers and sisters. There's a, there, there must be a certain decorum or, or conduct in order to receive this gift. You must follow proper etiquette to be a recipient of immortality, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 19, the knowledge of the commandments of the Lord is the doctrine of life. And they that do things that please him shall receive the fruit of the tree of immortality. See? So I plead with you to avoid anything that will deprive you of your happiness here in mortality and eternal life in the world to come. This is what we want them to see, brothers and sisters. So it's evident, brothers and sisters, that Ecclesiasticus 19 and 19 tells you that the knowledge of the commandments is life. And it leads to immortality, brothers and sisters, which is what? Heaven. Which is showing you what? <laughs> you must keep the commandments in order to make it to heaven, brothers and sisters. See? This is what you want to, this is how you want to show the Bible. You want to show the benefit of it. This is how you want to show or present the law to those who oppose themselves, brothers and sisters. See? Because we have to. A great fisherman have more than one bait. He have more than one pole, brothers and sisters. You can't use the same bait on every fish. When you're dealing with people who are elder, more mature, think they actually know something, brothers and sisters, then this is the way that you have to you have to present the Bible. Show them all the benefits of it. Instead of just showing them this is wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong. 
No, let me show you the benefit of following the law in its entirety. We're going to go to 2 Ezra 7 and 20. We're staying in the apographer, brothers and sisters. We have a plethora of scriptures, apographer works. And you're seeing that this is why they took the apographer out. Because there's no way they could have taught the laws done away with, with all these scriptures from the apographer still in the Bible, brothers and sisters. They didn't take it out for no reason. That's the question you must ask yourself. Why did they take out the apographer? And we actually have a lesson that we're going to put up here soon called um, the mysteries of the apographer. Which shows why they took out the apographer. So stay tuned for that, brothers and sisters. We're going to 2 Ezra 7 and 20. 2 Ezra 7, verse 20. For there be many that perish in this life, because they despise the law of God that is set before them. Because what? Because they despise the law of God that is set before them. This is the result of rejecting his instruction, brothers and sisters. Read that again, brother. Verse 20. For there is many that perish in this life, because they despise the law of God that is set before them. See, these commandments are loving instructions provided by our Father for our physical and spiritual well-being. Read the next scripture, brother. Verse 21. For God has given straight commandment to such as came. He's given direct commandments. What they should do to live. What? What they should do to live, even as they came. And what they should do, what they should observe to avoid punishment. See? <laughs> the Most High love you so much. <laughs> He's showing you the way to success, the way to immortality, and the way to what? Avoid judgment, avoid punishment, brothers and sisters. See, this is what this is how you present it, brothers and sisters. When you're going, dealing with somebody who opposes themselves, opposes the law. If we abandon the word of God, we will die spiritually. Read verse twenty and twenty-one again, brother. Verse twenty: For there be many that perish in this life. Because they despise the law of God that is set before them. For God hath given straight commandment to such as came, what they should do to live, even as they came, and what they should observe to avoid punishment. That's, see, and he's telling you, those who have lived, the most I have given straight commandments, is specifically to the children of Israel. So when that day come, you either receive the kingdom or you'll receive hellfire and it will be justified because he gave you straight commandments. He gave you strict directions. Exodus 20 and 8 say, observe the Sabbath to keep it holy. Sabbath means seven, the seventh day of the week. So there's no way that you're going to explain that off and think you're going to get into heaven when he gave you strict commandments on what to do and you're not doing them. See, this is what we want our people to see. Why? Your servant, go to Jacob and rise them to the Father again. Raise them to the Father again. And be a light unto the Gentiles. See? So the law of the Lord revives the soul. The Most High made it the means of life. Without it, we will perish, brothers and sisters. This is what we want them to see. This is exactly what we want them to see, brothers and sisters. The benefits of following the law. See, brothers and sisters, this is your purpose. Your purpose is to share... All the advantages of the law with those who oppose them, themselves. We're going to go to Ecclesiasticus 29 and 11. Ecclesiasticus 29 verse 11. Lay up thy treasure according to the commandments of the Most High. Read that again, brother. Lay up thy treasure according to the commandments of the Most High. 
And it shall bring thee more profit than gold. And what? And it shall bring thee more profit than gold. The benefits of knowing and doing the laws of the Most High are greater than all that money can buy, brothers and sisters. <laughs> the Most High's commandments are not given to frustrate us or to become obstacles to our happiness. Just the opposite is true. Just the opposite is true, brothers and sisters. He who created us knows how we need to live in order to obtain the greatest happiness possible. We need you to examine that, brothers and sisters. Read that again, brother Joshua. Verse 11. Lay up thy treasure according to the commandments of the Most High, and it shall bring thee more profit than gold. Right. See, brothers and sisters? This is show them the value of the commandments. That's the perspective you want to come from. That's the corner you want to come from. Showing them how profitable the law is. He who created us knows what we need in order to be happy. So disobey those commandments and quickly you will see how much sadness you can experience. See? So the Most High is not doing this to take your joy. Just the opposite, brothers and sisters. The commandments are worth more than gold, brothers and sisters. It will profit you more than all the world's treasures, physical treasures. Why? Because he, fear of the Lord come before obtaining preeminence. You cannot rule the earth, Israel, and you can't fear God. Why would he set you up as a ruler when you can't be obedient to him? We're going to go to Romans 7, verse 7. We're showing the benefits of the law to those who oppose themselves, brothers and sisters. Romans 7, verse 7. What shall, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, so he said, listen, what should we say? Is the law bad? Is the, is the law transgression? Is the law sin? That's what I ask a Christian. So is there something wrong with the law? Is there something wrong with thou shalt not commit fornication? Thou shalt not murder? Thou shalt respect your mother and father? Is there something wrong with that? Read that again, brother. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin. But by the law, for I, I had not known lust. Except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Right. So, brothers and sisters, if it wasn't for the law, we'd not even know we were on death row. <laughs> Without knowledge of the law, we're in bondage to sin like a prisoner in jail with no hope of parole, brothers and sisters. How could you know that eating pork would lead to, you know, to cancers and high blood pressure if the Bible didn't tell you? How would you know that looking at pornographic images was a sin or fornication if the Bible didn't show you this? See? So choosing to live the commandments frees us from the shackles of sin and allows us to experience true happiness, brothers and sisters. Read verse 12, brother. Verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy. Read that again. Wherefore the law is holy. The law is holy, brothers and sisters. And the commandment holy and just. And good. See? You need to show them that the law is actually good, brothers and sisters. So our conversion method is showing the benefits of the law. <laughs> it's not the law that is bad. It's the law breakers. See? Paul even tells you, listen, the law is good. The law is holy. <laughs> the commandments are just and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. If you see something wrong with the law, that's because there's something wrong with you. <laughs> see? So even Paul said the law is good. The commandments are holy, which means clean. Holy means clean, brothers and sisters. 
We're going to go to Psalms 119 and 67. Follow us, brothers and sisters. Psalms 119, verse 67. 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Read that again, brother. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. To show you affliction come on us when we go astray from his word. But now have I kept thy word. See? (laughs) So he allows us to be afflicted because maybe, just maybe, you'll start to see that the affliction comes from us ignoring his word. Read that one more time, brother. Psalms 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Read verse 71, brother. Verse 71. It is good for me to, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Read that again, brother. Verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. That I might learn thy statutes. See? He's saying, listen, it was good that I was afflicted because that made me learn the statutes. So it's less about them being wrong and more about the repercussions of being wrong, brothers and sisters. Iniquity leads to calamity. That's what we want to show them. The affliction comes when we do what? When we go astray from his commandments, his statutes, brothers and sisters. Read 67 again, brother, please. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Read verse 71. Verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. See, why do we go here? Because we must show them that affliction, calamity, come based on your iniquity, based on your transgression, based on your flagrant disobedience to his law. See? We're going to go to 2nd Ezra 15. In 24, we're going back to the Apocrypha, brothers and sisters, please follow us. 2nd Edges 15, verse 24. Woe to them that sin. Read that again. Woe to them that sin. Read that again. Woe to them that sin, and keep not my commandments, said the Lord. Woe to them. <laughs> Destruction to them that sin, brothers and sisters. The word of God is the best source of, deep, of our deepest and lasting joy. It says, woe to them that sin. That means misery, sorrow, distress, depression, sicknesses are all consequences of sin. Read that again, brother. Verse 24. Woe to them that sin and keep not my commandments, said the Lord. See? So disregard for the commandments opens the door for personal turmoil. And this is what you want to convey to a Christian or or those who... Don't see the value in following his law, brothers and sisters. See? Woe to them that sin and keep not my commandments. We're going to show you destruction, misery and sorrow, depression, sickness come from sin, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to John chapter 5. Let's go to Christ. I need you to examine this closely, brothers and sisters. I need you to read John chapter 5 verse 1, brother Joshua. John 5 verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Christ went up to Jerusalem. All right. Jump to verse uh, 5. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Uh, there was a man who had a sickness for thirty-eight years. When Christ saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir... 
I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me in the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Christ said unto him, What verse are you on? Verse 8. Christ said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And on the same day what? And on the same day was the Sabbath. Examine that. He was healed on the Sabbath, but the next scripture is what I need you to examine closely, brothers and sisters. Because we went here to show sinful behaviors lead to physical sickness. He's been healed. Now read verse 14, brother. Verse 14. Afterward, Christ findeth him in the, in the temple and said unto him. What did he say? Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more. Do what? Sin no more. Do what? Sin no more. Least the worst thing come on of thee. See, to show you that the sin led to the sickness for 38 years, brothers and sisters. See? <laughs> sickness always follows a sinful lifestyle. He healed the man and said, sin no more, lest a worse thing happen to you. See, brothers and sisters, this is what you do. This is how you must put... Promote the law, brothers and sisters, to those who oppose themselves. To show them. This is the benefactor. This is the benefit. This is the benefit of following the law. You stay healed. And then this also is the penalty for disobedience. See, that's what you want to come to them and pr promote to them, brothers and sisters. The penalty for disobedience you may not be able to recover from. Read that again, brother. Verse 14. Afterward, Christ findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. Right. See, this is what we need to see, brothers and sisters. There is benefit in the law. So you must pro provide, or we must provide, unequivocal evidence disputing that particular mischaracterization of the Bible as vexatious. The Bible is not burdensome. It's not grievous. It's actually there to keep you whole, to keep you healed, to lead you into immortality, to give you value, to give you a purpose. This is what you want them to see in the law. Because the only thing they're looking at is, oh, I can't do what I want to do. So you're going to ignore all this other stuff just so you can do what you want to do? That don't make no sense. <laughs> if it benefit me to follow the law, okay, listen. Because you can control yourself. You control yourself when you're at work, don't you? <laughs> you can show yourself then, don't you? Right, exactly. Somebody get angry with you, cuss you out, you hold yourself together then. You may not want to, but you do it. So you can control yourself. You could be screaming and, and cussing up, you know, cussing up a storm. Your boss called, you answer the phone, you, you got your white person voice on, right? So you can control yourself even when you don't want to, if you would like to. There's a benefit of following the law. Christ is showing you that he told this man after he was healed, he was sick for 38 years. Sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. These are the scriptures you take them to, brothers and sisters, to show them. To give them knowledge. Why? Because we perish for a lack of knowledge, brothers and sisters. Go to Romans 6 and 23, brother. Romans 6, verse 23. 
For the wages of sin is death. Read that again, brother. For the wages of sin is death. This is the seriousness of sin, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. The Bible gives you tomorrow's news today. It's telling you this is going to lead to death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. See? So if you follow the law, eternal life. Read Romans 6 and 23 one more time, brother. Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. Right. So the wages of sin is death. The cure for disobedience is Romans 6 and 23, brothers and sisters. Read it again. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Examine that, brothers and sisters. So that's what we come to non-believers and say. We, sh- we warn them of the consequences of violating God's laws, like that sickness of the brother in John 5. This is the unavoidable conclusion to sin, brothers and sisters. Now, most Christians don't even know what sin is. So you must start there. Ask a Christian, what is sin? <laughs> and watch the, look at the answer that they have. They don't have an answer. They don't even know what sin is. Why? We're going to show you why. We're going to go to 1 John 3 and 4. 1 John. Please follow us, brothers and sisters. This is the first thing you must <laughs> deal with on a Christian. They don't even know what sin is. 1 John 3 Verse 4, whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. For what? For sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is breaking God's commandments. <laughs> the same commandments you're saying are done away with, or that's Old Testament. That's what sin is. Sin is breaking those laws that you're claiming are done away with. See, and that's the problem. If you're saying the law is done away with, then you're saying there's no such thing as sin. If I don't have to follow the law, because that's Old Testament, then you're saying there's no such thing as sin now. Now, do that, that, if that's not satanic, I don't know what is, Brother Joshua. I, I really don't. <laughs> For somebody to say, there's no such thing as sin, you can do what you want. How does that even... <laughs> how does that make sense? How could you think the God of the Bible who wrote these laws would then tell you, you don't got to follow no law, just live lawless. <laughs> so just go sleep with as many men or women that you want. Just do a bunch of drugs. Just, you know, find naked butts online. You know, just do that. Disrespect your mama, your daddy. Eat rat, eat pig behind. Do whatever you want. No law. That's Satan, brothers and sisters. The Most High is not the author of confusion. So this is where I start with the Christian. I say, well, brother, what's what's sin? I asked the brother that one time. He said, well, everybody has a different, <laughs> a different definition of that. I'm like, really? Go to 1 John 3 and 4, brethren, because you don't even know what sin is. <laughs> if you don't know what sin is, I, I, I'm not receiving anything else from you, brother. I'm sorry. You're, you're reading the Bible, claim to follow the Bible. You don't know what sin is? You don't know why Christ came? <laughs> Read that again, brother. 1 John 3, verse 4. Whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. For sin is what? For sin is the transgression of the law. See? So you have to deal on a base level with Christians, brothers and sisters. They don't know the Bible. They don't know God. (laughs) They don't know the commandments. You have to understand that. They perish for a lack of knowledge. So they don't have the knowledge. So you have to deal with them like you would deal with a child, brothers and sisters. See? Same way you deal with a child. That's how you must deal with Christians. 
because they are children when it comes to knowledge. They don't know what sin is. They don't know what their purpose is. They don't even know when the Sabbath is. So you must take your time, show the benefits, brothers and sisters. Go to Matthew 22, brother, and 37. Let's go to Christ. Follow us to Christ, brothers and sisters. See, these, these are the scriptures I take them to. This is how I deal with the Christian. Matthew 22, verse 37. Now this is Christ. Christ said unto him, Thou shalt love thy, the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Read that part again. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Read that part again. This is the first and greatest commandment. Examine that, brothers and sisters. This is the first and great commandment. This is the greatest commandment right here. <laughs> See? This is the first and greatest commandment, brothers and sisters. Read it again, verse 37, brother. Matthew 22, verse 37. Christ said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now this is Christ. Are you following Christ? Or are you following Paul? Christ said the greatest commandment, the first and the greatest, the most important, is to love the Most High God with all your heart. Now Christians say, well yeah, I love God, do you? Do you love God as the scriptures say? Go to John 14 and 15, brethren. Because the greatest commandment is what? To love the Most High God. Now we have to show how to love the Most High God. And this is how you have to show a Christian. Brothers and sisters, they don't know what sin is. They don't even know how to love God. John 14, verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Read that again, brother. If ye love me, keep my commandments. The first and great commandment is to love God with all thy heart. <laughs> and how do you love him? Keep his commandments. So his first commandment is to keep his commandments. <laughs> See? The Most High is not playing. See? See, brothers and sisters? See how that links flawlessly? See how Matthew 23 and 38 links flawlessly with John 14 and 15? How do you love them? This is how you have to deal with the Christian, brothers and sisters. They don't know how to love God. They don't know what sin is. See? Perish for a lack of knowledge. Too many people think they can love the Most High God and yet show no concern <laughs> to learn and do what He commands, brothers and sisters. This is how we are distinguished from those who hate the Most High. The greatest commandment is what? Read it again, brother. Verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. See? There's no other way to show them you love them. No other way. See? So Christians have been influenced by those who have marginalized the commandments as something controlling and unruly. And that's not what it is. It's how you love God. See, brothers and sisters, your servant, go to these people and show them how to love God. Show them what sin is. Show them the benefit of the law. See? Don't make it about them being wrong. Make it about them what you wanting them to be right. It's not that I want to say you're wrong. I just want you to be right. I don't have to point to everything you're doing that's wrong. I'll just show you what's right. And then you'll see what you're doing is wrong and deal with it. See, brothers and sisters, we try to go directly to the heart to show them what they're doing is wrong. You don't need to do that. Only thing you need to do is show them what's right. So this is the way, brothers and sisters, in which you must deal with the Christian. Ask them flat out, how, you know, 
How do you love God? And they don't know the answer to that. No matter what answer they give, if it's not this, you take them right there. Because why? You follow Christ, right? Let's start there. Brother, you follow Christ? Yeah, I follow Christ. Okay. Christ said this is the greatest commandment. Yeah, that is the greatest commandment. That's the only commandment. It's to love God. Okay. Well, let's see. How do you love God then? See, let them walk right into the trap. (laughs) See? Let them set the trap up and then pull the rug out from underneath of their feet. See, because they get happy when they see that. Yeah, that's the only law is to love God. It's the only law I need to follow. Really? Okay. John 14 and 15. Read it, Brother Joshua. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. See? Commandments. That's plural. (laughs) See? Let's go to Romans 10 and 2, brother. Let's go to Paul, since y'all love to deal with Paul so much. Christians, and I want you to examine it, brothers and sisters. When you're dealing with Christians, they don't go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They go to Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. That's all of them right there. Even when you're seeing them on TV, brothers and sisters, on TBN or whatever channel, listen to the scriptures they're going to. They only go to Paul's records because those are the scriptures that they are able to manipulate to say the law is done away with. Christ was straightforward. Paul was hard to be understood by the unlearned. Bible tell you that. Read verse 2, brother, please. Romans 10, verse 2. For I bear them record that have the zeal of God, but not according, but not according to knowledge. Right. So our people want to serve God, but they don't know how to serve God, brothers and sisters. They have a hunger and thirst after the word of righteousness, brothers and sisters, but they don't know how to serve them. See? Majority of our people want to serve a higher power. It's hard for you to find a native Hispanic or Negro that don't believe in God. Now, they may not follow in the God of the Bible, but they're following something they believe to be God. So you must understand our people have a zeal for the Most High, but they have no knowledge on how to serve the Most High. So we must have sympathy and compassion for them, brothers and sisters. Our people don't know that what they're doing is wrong. (laughs) They don't know. That's why you have been enlisted in the Most High's army as a servant to bring Jacob back to the Father and be a light unto the Gentiles. See? Go to Mark 6 and 34 to show you that Christ had compassion on these people. The same compassion we must have. Mark 6 verse 34 And Christ, when he came out, saw much people... And was moved with compassion towards them. Why? Because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. Because what? Because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. See, our people are sheep not having a shepherd. These pastors are not teaching them what's right. So our people are only parroting what they've learned. The law is done away with. Christ came to do away with that. That's the Old Testament. All that, they're being taught that, brothers and sisters. So you must have... Compassion. We're not here to excoriate Christians. We're here to show you, brothers and sisters, how to fish a Christian, how to fish a non-believer with compassion, with sympathy, with, with empathy, because they've been taught wrong. They want to serve God, but not according to knowledge. Why? Because the shepherds have led them astray, brothers and sisters. Christ had compassion towards them. Brothers and sisters, you must carry that same compassion, that same sympathy. 
We're going to go to Hebrews 12 and 11 to show you why. <clears throat> Please follow us, brothers and sisters. Hebrews 12, verse 11. Now no chastising for the present seemeth to be joyous. Look at this. No correction, no chastening for the present seem joyous. So you must know this first, brothers and sisters. Read that again, brother Joshua. Verse 11. Now no chastising for the present seem to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are ex exercised thereby. Take your time, brother. It's telling you no chastening or no correction seems to be joyous at the time. It's grievous. See, so when you're correcting them, it may not seem like they're receiving it, brothers and sisters. But afterwards... If they go into it and study it and understand it, 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 it yieldeth peaceable fruit. So examine this, brothers and sisters. Have compassion. Why? Because no chastening or no correction, no admonishment seems good at that time. Even though it's what's best for them in the future, it don't feel good at that time. See, brothers and sisters? Read that again, brother. Verse 11. Now no chastising for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. See? So you must understand, brothers and sisters, when you're pulling out these scriptures, trying to say, well, you're wrong on this and you should do this, it's grievous to them at that moment, brothers and sisters. That's why you must have compassion. That's why you must have empathy, brothers and sisters. So there's a way in which you deliver the scripture. Even though you have the scriptures, there's a way in which you must deliver it. Knowing that no chastening seemeth joyous at that time. No correction seems to be joyous. When your parents are disciplining you, do you feel good at that time? Are you saying, yeah, thanks for this discipline? Or later on, after you grow up and mature, you like, thank you for that. But right away, you, you know, in the moment, you're not happy about it. So you must be conscious of this, brothers and sisters. This is how you chasten. This is how you correct, brothers and sisters. For skilled fishermen, this is what you must know. When you deliver the word, this is how you do it. Ephesians 4 and 2, brothers and sisters. Follow us there. Ephesians 4, verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness. With what? With all lowliness and meekness. With long suffering, forbearing one another in love. This is how you deliver the word. This is how you deliver correction. A meek and gentle approach, brothers and sisters, can easily appear as weakness to those who are unfamiliar with Christ's example. That's why we went to Christ's example first. <laughs> it said he had compassion. See, brothers and sisters, this is how when you're trying to give them a renewed mind, a renewed spirit, a better un understanding or interpretation of the law. This is how you do it. Read verse two, brother. Verse two, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. See, forbearing one another in love. So the virtue here required is what? One of gentleness, brothers and sisters. <laughs> right. See. Which is to be manifested in our manner of receiving provocation. Because why? They may start to provoke you. It's not them. It's the spirit, brothers and sisters. Well, you, you're doing this wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Where you work at? Where you get a degree at? 
See, that may come, brothers and sisters. So the Bible is showing you this is the spirit you must be in just in case the spirit try to provoke you. <laughs> See, so in the exercise of humility, brothers and sisters, which makes us unwilling to provoke and easily, excuse me, and not easily provoked or offended. See, in the exercise of humility, if we're utilizing humility, brothers and sisters, it makes us unwilling to provoke and not easily provoked or offended. Because if you become offended or they provoke you into tussling now, your whole message can now be ignored, which that's why I tell young people. And you see a lot of our Israelite brothers out there on the corner yelling and screaming, calling the white man the devil. I'm like, that's not effective, brother. Because now, because you're angry or you appear angry and you're dealing with all of that, they can now easily just disregard everything you said. See, so you're doing yourself a disservice. Our church, we teach our people how to battle on an intellectual level with scholars. Because guess what? A scholar's not going to sit down with you and you're in an aggressive tone, an aggressive manner, angry and loud. That, that's an easy outing for me. I'm walking away, man. Listen, this man's a fool. He's loud. He's arrogant. See, you want to deal with them on an intellectual level. Therefore, you can get the word out and it has to be respected. There's no way they can just say, well, he came in a spirit of arrogance and prideness, uh, excuse me, and smugness. So I just, you know, I'm going to walk off. No, you come in the spirit of lowliness and meekness, long suffering. See, read that again, brother. Ephesians 4, verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness. With long suffering, forbearing one another in love. See, this is the virtue, brothers and sisters, we must be in if we're being provoked, if we're receiving provocation. This is the spirit we must be in. If you come in the spirit of lowliness and meekness with long suffering, you can allow them to say anything they want and try to antagonize you, ridicule you, chastise you, all of those things, and you'll stand firm as a what? As a reflection of Christ. See, brothers and sisters, so no matter how many scriptures you have, if you're doing it in a wrong spirit, it's not going to be effective because they're going to expect you to deliver the word like Christ would deliver it. I don't care if it's your brother, if it's your cousin or your mom. Sometimes people treat people they don't know better than the ones they know. And that's that's insanity within itself. If you're talking to somebody on the street you treat them with all this respect, but when you're dealing with somebody you know you grew up with, <laughs> see, this is the spirit we must stay in, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Hebrews 4 and 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Keep this in mind. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. See, we must be conscious of how we handle this, the word of God, brothers and sisters. Read that again, brother. Verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-way sword. See, the scriptures are powerful enough. So you don't have to be arrogant and smug. <laughs> See, you don't have to come in an overbearing spirit because the word is enough. Read it again, brother. For the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow. And it is the discerning 
of thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the scriptures know what's in the heart, brothers and sisters. That's why the scriptures are the way they are. And you must know this, brothers and sisters. When somebody is wounded, their natural inclination is to defend themselves. See? So that's why you must come in meekness and humility and long-suffering, forbearing and love. See? That's why the previous scripture talked about when provocation is, is in the midst. When they look to provoke you. Why would they look to provoke you? Read verse 12, brother. Verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. See, that lets you know that provocation could come back. And you must be prepared for that. You must stay in the spirit of meekness and humility. We must minister graciously with empathy, brothers and sisters, and politeness. See, that's what our church does. We don't disrespect anybody, whether it's a white man or an African or a Korean. We respect all people and deal with them on an intellectual level. Because they already look at us as just, you know, physical presence where they can't beat us physically. But we need them to know you can't beat us mentally either. You can't beat us intellectually. Because that's what they believe. They believe we're just good for playing football. We're good for dancing, shooting basketballs. They don't believe that we're sharp. Those who learn from our church, we teach them on an intellectual level so they can battle (laughs) with scholars. Keep this in mind. Read that again, brother. Verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now keep that in mind, brothers and sisters. So with that being said, how do you swing the sword? Knowing that it's quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. How do you swing the sword? Galatians 6 and 1. Galatians 6 and 1, brothers and sisters. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. In what? In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See, if somebody is overtaken in a fault, if somebody is doing something wrong, we that are spiritual restore one in the spirit of meekness. (laughs) See, we must be conscious of how you wield the sword. This is how you brandish the sword, brothers and sisters, in meekness. See? Why? Because the scriptures are powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Read it again, brother, please. Verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. Least thou also be tempted. See, lest thou always be, um, excuse me, lest thou also be tempted based on a provocation. See? So you must be careful because the, the scriptures are a two-edged sword, which means they can cut both ways. If you start coming in a more condemning spirit rather than a liberating spirit, a meek spirit, then they can say <laughs> the same scriptures that you're using, you're not utilizing. It says... Restore someone or correct somebody in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Unless something is said, the spirit throws a fiery dart at you that now cause you to come back in a fiery manner. We don't come in the spirit of condemnation, but liberation, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, Brother Joshua. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, 
If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Why? Because why? If somebody's dealing with the spirit, by you getting angry, that spirit can now jump into you. By you being over emotional, that spirit can jump into you. And when does that happen? That usually happens when we believe somebody has done us wrong. When you know you're right and somebody has done something to offend you or somebody's flat out wrong, then that spirit can jump into you. And now you're both wrong. So listen, I'm not going to be wrong because you've wronged me. See, that's why you must deal in the spirit of meekness. And meekness is a tolerant, yielding spirit. It represents, excuse me, it represents having the right way, but not insisting on it. See, I'm not going to force you to have it. Listen, I'll give this to you if you would like it, show you the benefit of it. But I'm not going to turn into a battle between you and I. Let's keep this in the context of the scriptures. Because that spirit that's using that person, utilizing that body, will try anything to hold off those scriptures. Because when you're reading those scriptures, you're taking them to those scriptures, the spirit will start to unravel within them. Satan's spirit. Things will start making sense in their mind. So the spirit that's controlling them will look to fight against you. Start throwing darts and saying things that will get you angry. Try to provoke you. See? Go to Hebrews 12 and 12, brother. Hebrews 12, verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. See? So, help those who are down. Help those who are broken. Read that again, brother. Verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down. And the feeble need. See? So the purpose of delivering the truth is to restore somebody to the true understanding of the gospel. Not to show them that they're wrong. And make straight paths for your feet. Least that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. See? So our purpose is not to offend somebody by trying to prove that they're wrong. <laughs> Read that again, brother, from the top. Verse 12. Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down. And the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet. Make straight paths for your feet. Least that which is lame be turned out of the way. See? Because depending on how you present this, the person who's hurt, who needs the healing, will be turned away based on how you're delivering. How you're wielding the sword. How you're brandishing the sword. Read that again, brother. Verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down. And the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet. Least that which is lame be turned out of, of the way, but let it rather be healed. See, that's the whole purpose. We're not trying to show you you're wrong. We want you to be healed. We want you to have understanding. We want you to have truth. One thing you must know is things are easily digested based on its presentation. If it's presented in peace, in love, in meekness and humility, somebody can receive that. Even if it's showing them that what they've been doing is wrong. We're not to be condescending. Brothers and sisters, we are to publish his truth with zeal, defend it with courage, and recommend it with prudence. Brothers and sisters, that's what it's talking about. Make, make straight the paths for your feet. See? Because you'll be working against yourself if you're delivering it in a way that's not humble and meek and long-suffering. With compassion and empathy. You're actually working against yourself. 
you can pull out as many scriptures as you want to. If you're not doing it in humility, you're wasting your time. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 4 and 21. We got a few more scriptures. We're going to close out, brothers and sisters. A purpose-driven life. Our purpose as a servant of the Most High is to bring truth to our people. So we've gone into scriptures that will help us have the right mindset of what we're trying to convey to brothers and sisters. Now we're showing you how to deliver the message. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 21. What will ye? Shall I come on you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? See, this is a mind that have wisdom, brothers and sisters. Read that again. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod? Should I come unto you with a rod? Or in love? See? The, see? You have the truth. How are you going to deliver it? <laughs> we will use fair and gentle methods. That's what we'll do. That's what a mature fisherman or fisherwoman does. Read it again, brother. Well, verse 21. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod? Or in love? And in the spirit of meekness? See? So it's our prerogative, brothers and sisters, to use fair and gentle methods in the spirit of comforting and co- excuse me, comforting and commending, rather than in a spirit of chastising, brothers and sisters. Why? Because if it's done in any other way, you will not receive the maximum benefit. You can come with the rod if you want to, but that's not going to be effective, especially when you're dealing with adults, I'm not dealing with children here. You're dealing with grown men and women who buy their own food, drive their own cars, pay their own rent. See? So you're not trying to be a father. You're not trying to tell people what to do. You're trying to show them the error of their ways by showing them what's right in the Bible. See? This is what happens. You see our people. You go on YouTube, type in Israelite. The worst example of an Israelite is coming. And a lot of times the scripture is right, but they're coming with the rod instead of in love. That makes it less effective. Are you doing this to be seen? Or are you doing this to be effective? Are you doing this because you want to show they're wrong? Or are you doing this because you want them to do what's right and make it into immortality? See, that's the difference. That's the difference. Are you trying to show me that I'm wrong? Or you want me to be right? Are you doing this in love? Read 21 again, brother. Verse 21. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love? And in the spirit of meekness. See? So, are you going to come in, in roughness? Or are you going to come in love, brothers and sisters? <laughs> we determine how much people will respond to us. Because a lot of times it's just based on how we're presenting it, brothers and sisters. We needed to show that. We're showing many different ways in which you can fish. Why? Because this is your life service. You'll be doing this your whole life. Bringing Jacob back to the Father in a light to the Israelites. And a skilled fisherman knows that you can't use the same bait for every fish. What we're dealing with today is for more mature fish that may be deep down on the bottom. You may need a different weight, a different pole. See? Because usually when we're young, we come into it, we think that just showing the scriptures will change them. (laughs) We'll see it say don't eat pork here. We'll see it say the Sabbath is here. Has that worked? Does that usually work, brothers and sisters? By you just pointing to what they're doing is wrong. No, it doesn't. It's not really effective. So we must change up our way, becoming more mature, learning from the Bible how to deliver the word of God. 
We're going to go to 2 Timothy 2 and 24. 2 Timothy 2 verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Read that again, brother. Verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. You must not be argumentative. It's not about an argument. But be gentle unto all men. But do what? But be gentle unto all men. See, that's why I don't, you know, I'm not too fond of when I see our brothers out there not being gentle. But cussing out, you know, cussing out Edomites and other people, even cussing out our own people. It says be gentle. Read it again, brother. Verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. But be gentle unto all men, opt to teach, patient. Right, because if you're gentle, brothers and sisters, then you'll have the apt to teach. You'll have an opportunity to teach because you're being gentle and patient. Read that again, brother. Verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, opt to teach, patient. So we must show a willingness to utilize the power of gentleness to those who embrace error. And array themselves against the truth, brothers and sisters. Those who are meek before the Most High God have the inner strength to do what? To do what? To give gentle correction, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See? The meek have the wherewithal, have the spiritual strength to actually deliver the word in gentleness. I'm not trying to force anybody. Read 24 and 25 again, brother. Verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, opt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Brothers and sisters, this is the most effective way to encourage reformation. Read 25 again, brother. Verse 25. In meekness instructing those that, op- that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. See? So examine that, brothers and sisters, in meekness and humility and gentleness and thoughtfulness instruct those that oppose themselves. Those who don't follow the law oppose themselves. They don't even know it. They're leading themselves right down to hell. See, brothers and sisters, this is the most effective way to encourage reformation. We must deliver correction as Christ would deliver it. See? See? I spoke to a brother years ago. He said, man, you know, our people are in the ghetto. So you got to talk to them like they're in the ghetto. You got to cuss them out and call them, you know, niggers and stuff. And I'm like, no, brother, don't don't fall to that. Our people are intelligent. Our people are smart. You talk to them with respect and with intellect to show them that they can become an intellectual, that they don't have to use physical force and slang. They can actually outwit people with their intellect by utilizing the Bible. Not going to talk to our people like thugs and criminals because they live in the ghetto. Not going to do that, brother. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 3 and 15. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 15. Yet count him not as an enemy. When you're dealing with somebody who opposed themselves and don't follow the law, read it. But ab- read it from the top. Verse 15. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Admonish him as a brother. Correct him as a brother. See? This shows the true spirit in which correction is to be administered, brothers and sisters. 
Not in a malicious manner, but with brotherly affection. <laughs> See? With meekness, compassion, and tenderness. That's how you do it, brothers and sisters. That's the mark of a great fisher. That's the mark of a mature fisherman or fisherwoman. Even if they're not in agreement with you, you don't count them as an enemy. You correct them as a brother in love. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 15. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Admonish him as a brother. Correct him as a brother. In meekness, brothers and sisters. Meekness is maintaining peace and patience in the midst of pelting provocations. See? There may be... There may be provocation. There may be ridicule there. But still, you deal in the spirit of meekness and treat him or her as a brethren or a sister. See, brothers and sisters? You must have all this in mind. And if this is too much to take into account, then you're not made to do the work of service of the Most High God, of converting. Maybe that's not what you do. Maybe you just should be in the choir and just do singing or something. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe you should just, you know, pass out food to the homeless shelters and stuff. That's good. But those who've been called to help convert, this is your line of instruction. Even though you have the knowledge, there's a way in which you must administer that knowledge. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14, Brother Joshua. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See? Read that one more time. Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Read. See that... None render evil for evil unto any man. See, because this is what happens when you're trying to deliver truth. Satan will send provocation. And then this now goes from the scriptures to an argument now. Well, you did this. You don't know that. You ain't got no education. See, and now (laughs) the same person that was trying to teach the scriptures to somebody has now been taken by the spirit. See? But listen, brother, you feel that way? I'm sorry about that, brother. I love you anyway. I've had brothers attack me straight out. And I'm like, well, okay, brother. I love you anyway, man. I love you anyway, brother. <laughs> One brother said, don't don't tell me you love me. Because <laughs> the spirit don't want to hear that, brothers and sisters. You must respond in love. <laughs> Even when there, there's attack and ridicule, respond in love. The spirit that's dwelling in them hates that. <laughs> Read 14 and 15 again, brother. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See, you must be all things to all men, brothers and sisters. Affectionate, excuse me, affectionately admonish those who are living contrary to the requirements of the gospel, brothers and sisters. Minister with sensitivity and love, delicacy and thoughtfulness. See, if you can't do that, then you're in the wrong line of work. Those of us who are servants to bring Jacob back to the Father must keep all of this in mind, brothers and sisters. Keep all of this in mind. Now, 
We're going to deal with this grace thing. That's the last thing we're going to hit, brothers and sisters. Grace. Because many Christians will say, we're not under the law. We're under grace. But have no understanding of what grace is. So we're going to end this with how to understand what grace is, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Romans 6 and 14. Romans 6, verse 14, brothers and sisters. Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. See, this is what they'll go to. (laughs) They'll go to this. See, we're not under the law. We're under grace. This is one of the most commonly misinterpreted scriptures. The question is, you're under grace from what? What are you under grace for? (laughs) Does grace mean, listen, you can do what you want to do, that... You're not, you're not obligated to follow the law? Christians don't even know. We're going to show you when it speaks of grace, you're under grace from what? Not from the law. You're under grace from the penalty of the law. We're going to show you. In the Old Testament, you were killed when you transgressed certain laws. Let's prove that. Let's go to Leviticus 20 and 9, brother. Let's deal with this grace thing. Leviticus 20, verse 9. For every one that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Read the next scripture, brother. Verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Shall be what? Shall surely be put to death. Shall be what? Shall surely be put to death. See, this is what you're under grace from. The penalty of the law. Law still stands. (laughs) See? So if a man got caught cheating with another man's wife, or a wife, a woman got cheating with another woman's husband, they were put to death. If you was a homosexual, you was put to death. See? So you're under grace. Which means, doesn't mean you don't have to follow the law. That means you have time to get it right. Think about it. If you have a phone bill that's due today, and you call them up and say, listen, I don't get paid till tomorrow. And they say, okay, well, listen, we're going to give you a 48-hour grace period. Does that mean you're not responsible for paying that bill? Or does it mean they're going to give you time to get it right? See? So the Most High is giving you time to get it right before Christ comes back. Because you would have been dead for all the sin you're doing, eating pork and all this other stuff. We would have been dead already. So he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you time to get right until Christ come and then judgment day. See, brothers and sisters, that's what grace is. Christians don't understand that. They think their grace from the law means I don't have to follow no laws. That's not what this is speaking of. Grace is talking about the penalty of the law. I can't go murder a homosexual because he liked to wrestle men. I can't do that. We're under grace. If a man try to sleep with another man's wife, we can't go kill him. If a sister try to go sleep with another woman's husband, we can't go kill him. That's the grace. Further proof. Go to Romans 6 and 15 and we'll end it at Hebrews 10 and 7. Romans chapter 6 verse 15. Romans 6 verse 15. What then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. (laughs) See? God forbid. No. It says, what, shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. See? No. Examine that, brothers and sisters. See? Just because you're 
not under the penalty of the law doesn't mean you should just use grace by sinning. So what is it showing us? This is showing us that grace is not permission to sin. And if you believe that grace is freedom to sin, then we have abused the entire concept of what grace is. Read that again, brother. Romans 6, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. What sin? We already read transgression of the law, brothers and sisters. So just because you're under grace and not under the penalty of the law, that doesn't mean that you can sin on purpose. Sin is our mortal enemy, and there's nothing good in sin, brothers and sisters. Only evil in death, in deception, in bondage. That's the only thing in sin, brothers and sisters. So we needed to show you that you have to use the Old Testament, the Apocrypha, and the New Testament to understand the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the Bible. And to prove that, we're going to go to Hebrews 10 and 7, and we're going to leave it there. Follow us, brothers and sisters. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Hebrews 10, verse 7. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written in, of me. In what? In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. See, the Most High is written in the volume of the book. That means you can't just say, well, that's just the Old Testament. I just follow the New Testament. Or I just follow the Old Testament. I don't follow the New Testament. Or I just follow the Apocrypha. No, you have to follow the whole book. It's one doctrine, brothers and sisters. That's how we used Romans 6 and 15, or excuse me, uh, Romans 6 and 14 to show you what grace, it says you're not under the law, but under grace. Then you have to go back to Leviticus 20 and 9 to show what you're actually under grace from. It's not one or the other. People, Christians say, well, that, that God of the Old Testament was... He was violent. He was angry. It's the same God. Christ didn't come to do away with the law. You have to use the volume of the book. I'm tired of Christians saying, well, that's Old Testament. As if something changed. The only thing that changed was the penalty of death. Why? Because Christ died for it. There's still judgment, though. On Judgment Day, you will be judged. You have grace until then. That's what grace is, brothers and sisters. So we needed to expose that grace deception. Brothers and sisters, we had a detailed lesson today. Today's lesson was a purpose—excuse me—a purpose-driven life, where we use scriptures to show what our duty is, what our purpose is in life, in the best way, the most efficient way to fulfill that purpose. We want to say, "Kwam Yasharala, Kwam Yasharala, sin no more, sin no more."